Though it's impossible to pigeonhole the nine feature films David McKenzie's made, there's one thing they have in common. Director's passion for music. Having enlisted Scottish band The Pastels to provide the soundtrack for his debut, The Last Great Wilderness, David has since collaborated with luminaries such as David Byrne and Max Richter. Indie label Domino Records provided all the songs for Hal and Foe, while his romantic comedy You Instead was shot over five crazy days at Tea in the Park Festival in Scotland. His latest film, Hell or High Water, continues this fine musical tradition, scored as it is by Nick Cave and Warren Ellis. Starring Chris Pine, Ben Foster and Jeff Bridges, it tells the story of two brothers who embark on a spree of bank robberies in an unconventional effort to pay off a debt. Go get that money. Everybody get on the ground! Woo! I'm Edith Bowman and you're listening to Soundtracking, a weekly podcast in which I speak to the most influential names in cinema about the relationship between sound and vision. And we couldn't be more delighted to welcome David, a truly original filmmaker with an ear for a great tune. If nothing else, it gives us an opportunity to play some country with the Texas-based Hell or High Water, featuring tracks from Waylon Jennings, Scott H. Burham and the legend that is Towns Van Zandt. Dave McKenzie, welcome to Soundtracking. I kind of don't know where to start with you because each project, there's so much that we could talk about. Let's start with Hell or High Water, if that's okay, your new film. Did you have a very clear idea of the sound uh, music-wise that you wanted for the film? You know, the film's set in Texas and I guess we had to move into the film really, really quickly. We had a very short prep period and don't know Texas very well. I'd spent a little, little bit of time in Alpine, West Texas a few years back, but I don't really know it. So I had to kind of, sort of find a, a sort of conduit in there and, yeah. and, and it, that was with a lot of kind of country Western music and, and so we were kind of immersing ourselves with particularly the kind of outlaw country. Oh, if I had a dollar bill, yes, I believe I surely will. Go to town and drink my fill early in the morning. Little darling, she's a red thing, man, she makes my legs too sing. Wanna buy a diamond ring early in the morning. So that was where the vibes of the film were coming from, and uh, one or two of the were scripted actually in the film, you know, so that you know there's a sort of Waylon Jennings track that, yeah. that you know the brothers kind of sing Stay along car, to. Yeah. So I, I kind of knew knew where that was to some extent, and, and we sort of built from that. Let the world call me a fool, but things are right with me and you. That's all that matters, and I'll do anything you ask me to. And I think just being surrounded by that was a real help to try and represent this 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 you know world of uh, of, of, sort of nowhereville Texas, which is what the film is kind of about. Yeah. Just in 
terms of the way that you weave the music into certain situations within the storyline, knowing when to use score and knowing when to use existing music, is that an easy process? I mean, it's very much part of what you're doing when you're editing the film, is you kind of gathered all this material. You're whittling it down to try and make the kind of flows work and make the story make sense and just find a kind of path through the material. And music is often a really helpful thing to do that, both in terms of building energies and, and helping you kind of move from one thing to another, but also in terms of reinforcing emotions and creating tension and the sort of things that drive a film. So it's very sort of central to it. I went down the station and I got me a ticket, said I went down on the country, said I down on big thickets, said I down on South Texas, Southeast Texas, said I made a film called Hallamford where I DJed the score from Domino Records and there are several things that I had in advance that I thought this is going to be in the film, this is going to be in the film and by the time we finished the edit only one track that I'd had all planned ended up being where, where I thought it was and that yeah. was a, a track called Hero My Own by Unpop which is a, a great track. I sort of learned from that that unless it's got a reason to be in there, like someone's going to sing along to it, keep loose with that because often the, what you think the material is going to be is not quite what it is. And so you have to kind of listen to the material before you put the music down. They said I would never remember. They said I would never remember. That street back in December, I'm falling, 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 falling. Now he's gone, he will always remain. Now he's gone, he will always remain. Now he's gone, he will always remain. It's the future, future, future. In this case, it was really interesting because we put Nick and Warren's score from other movies down as a temp score, and, yeah. and it started really working. And so we decided, why not ask them to do the score? So, so we did. <laughs> and they, and, How do you go about asking them? Do you just like do you get your people to call their people, or is it, or do you kind of just do you reach out personally? It, it was a bit bit of that case that one one of the producers had had worked on a film that they'd done, so they had a contact, and yeah. so we got an exchange of, of emails, and then started yeah. chatting away.
well, they're really great guys, but also I'm really happy with what it does to yeah. the film and, and the contrast between the country music and a kind of more brooding, intense score. That opening piece, for example, you know, kind of, it's the way that it tells you so much about the tone of the film, I think, and the setting as well. It's a very, very clever and wonderful piece of music. Well, what's fun about that is that's over a single shot and that the opening of the film is a sort of single shot that lasts, I don't know, two minutes or something like that. And, well and it kind of sets up the world. So in this thing, having the musical ev evolution of that is kind of really helpful for setting up that world. Nick and Warren, they saw the film and then they kind of, you know... We, we sent them a, a, a cut of the film, quite an advanced cut of the film, with, with, with a lot of the music that's in the film and with their own their own music as uh, as temp score, <laughs> you know, slightly embarrassed to, to admit that we'd already been using their music before asking them, as it were. <laughs> Um, I, bet they were, I bet they were real chuffed about that. Well, it, the good thing is, it, you know, it, it's their stuff, and it gave them an idea of what we were, what we were liking, and, yeah. and all that. Although, I, interestingly, I don't, I would never want them to kind of repeat with themselves, yeah. and so it's, you know, they, they they had to use that as a guide, and then and then move into something specific for the film. So, um, and that's exactly what they did. that you've worked with way back to Young Adam and working with David Byrne. How did that come about? I've been a fan of David's for a very long time uh, and David's always been working with musicians from other countries. I mean, quite a lot of kind of world music collaborations and that, but he was born in Dumbarton and he'd never kind of collaborated with, uh, with any Scottish musicians. So I thought, well, this could be a really interesting opportunity. Called up David and, and, and kind of mentioned that and got him familiar with the material and gathered a kind of mini sort of super group of Scottish musicians to work with, you know, including guys from Mogwai and Snow Patrol and Mel Sebastian and got him in Savar Studios and, uh, and, and and we had a kind of fantastic kind of couple of weeks of, uh, of laying down the soundtrack of the film, which is a it was a joyous kind of uh, experience.
that part of the joy of living in Glasgow that you have this wonderful musical collective? You know, I, I wished it was more part of my life than it is, but access to that great and very generous group of musicians who all sort of look after each other and lend each other gear and all that. I mean, I think the music and art scenes in Glasgow are pretty giving to each other, and I'm not convinced that the film scene is quite as giving you know and it's, it's a shame but I guess it's a smaller thing you know and, and, and we're dealing with the resources and all that but uh, uh, you know I'm, I'm always impressed by how open both the music and art scenes are in Glasgow. With regards to Young Adam and having all those different musicians as part of this collective for your film, though, how was it? Was it a case of just giving them free reign on it? Well, what David you... was a boss, you know. I yeah. mean, da- I mean, Do I mean, what he says. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and I remember Barry Burns from Mogwai was doing a lot of uh, piano stuff with David, and very closely collaborating. Then people coming in and out. But you know, David had done demos, and I was kind of like just there in the background, trying to kind of make sure that things were shaped to the the sort of narrative waves of the film, and and so that that was kind of my my part of it. But it was yeah, it was a kind of busy creative hub, you know, um, and, and, and really strong. Man sticks his fingers inside of his mouth. The words are stuck in there. He fishes them out. Whispers and mumbles, statements and verse, curses and love songs for nobody else. Man takes a pencil and puts down his thoughts. The old human highway from Eden to none. Brothers and sisters, husbands and wives, strangers and cripples in love with their lives. How they dance in a trance where the river bends. Here we go, don't you know that it never ends. Some ride, some slide, everyone you know travels on that great western road. Perfect sense as well, you worked with Max. Um, Richter as well. What was Max like to work with? Max is a kind of genius, and uh, we recorded in the Babelsberg Studios in Berlin because Max was living there at the time. You know, this sort of enormous, great kind of soundstage orchestra thing. You know, and Max was amazing, and he did some really interesting, very thick kind of electronics that counted the sort of classicism of what he's doing. And there yeah. was a kind of combo of that, and yeah, it was really, really special stuff. Interestingly, I, in a similar way to Nick and Warren, I, I had him on from the beginning, but I'd been using his other music as temp score, you know, and so there's a really weird thing when you get temp score that anyone who's made a film will understand. It's a phrase called temp love, where you, you get used to the temp score and you start falling in love with the temp score, and, and then when the new score comes along, the real score, you're not quite ready for it.
bits like, hmm, how is this going to fit? You know, and there was an interesting transition there of getting used to the new stuff. No, I think it's a really, really lovely sound. And uh, I saw Max playing in, in Edinburgh um, oh, wow. a few, few weeks ago, and that was great. decide who you work with? Max actually wrote me a letter and said I wanted to work with you and, and, and I, I was familiar with the Blue Notebooks I was familiar with his stuff and I kind of got back in contact and said let, let, let's do something Everyone carries a room about inside them This fact can be proved by means of the sense of hearing If someone walks fast and one pricks up one's ears and listens say at night when everything round about is quiet one hears, for instance, the rattling of a mirror not quite firmly fastened to the wall. And I, I kind of had him in mind for a couple of movies, and, and then when Perfect Sense came along, I knew I wanted something super emotional, something that could make people cry, you know what I mean? And, and, and I, I just thought Max, you know, immediately thought of Max of that. It was waiting in the wings as an idea, and then and when it came along, it, it was like, Here, here's the one to do it with. sounds like it's a case of it being an obvious thing, of it almost telling you that this is who you should work with, whether it be Warren and, and, and Nick. Yeah, I mean, that came late, but it feels completely right, whereas with Perfect Sense, I'd almost chosen Max before I'd chosen the cast. It felt like it, it needed that, which is really interesting. So you knew how you wanted it to sound? And that particular thing, I knew it was kind of a minimal, it was a minimal maximal film, film in a way, and, and, and it needed to have bits that were minimal and bits that were maximal, and I thought the music needed to be kind of maximal. you worked on previously there's no formula to how you use music and each film very much has a need for music in a different way and you look at something like Starred Up we started we really didn't want to have any music at all but I thought well what I'm more looking for is something that's almost sound design that's almost kind of there in the walls it's almost kind of yeah. it's like the pipes gurgling or, or, yeah. or whatever So I, I decided to do the soundtrack myself as a non-musician, and I, I worked with Tony Dugan, who's, who's a great Glasgow uh, engineer and producer, and uh, him and I just messed around making weird noises, um, and uh, you know, some some of which is quite musical, some of which is kind of anti-musical.
and we, we put it very, very low in the mix in the film, so it's, it's sort of sub-perceptual, but it's very much there, and it, it, it's part of the, that kind of atmosphere of the film, and, and, and you, know, you might just kind of hear a tickle of something, or yeah. it kind of creates that undercurrent, and, and it kind of works with the, the tension of the film. really good fun experiment and I, I just like to do things differently with music in each film so that was a fun thing to do and you add music producer to your uh, list of many titles uh, now as well well I've got an, I've got an album out now you <laughs> yes know that, exactly you know, I got, yeah, I I got several, if anyone wants a copy they should call me out because I've got several boxes of the thing that uh, I can't get rid of you know. we'll give them we'll give one away someone will definitely want one like you say you're you're almost unaware of it and then you you get a wave of it but then you're not quite sure whether it's the sound of a door or the sound of something going on outside a cell and stuff it's so intrinsic with the tone of the film. instead I remember being at Tea in the Park when you were filming that and doing the TV coverage and kind of seeing you all wander about and kind of what are they doing how on earth do you approach making a film at a festival one of the most mad things I've ever done to make a 90 minute romantic comedy at a live event with 80,000 drunk Scotsmen. You deserve a medal. Well, it was just insane, <laughs> but what, what was the great thing about, I mean, you, know, you look at a, a normal film schedule and, and you see kind of one or two pages of, of scenes. We look at our schedule and there, there'd be like eight pages a day, you know, I mean, an insane amount of stuff to do. something about the spirit of that and you just have to think on your feet and whatever plan you had you just have to bend that plan to kind of fit the reality. Essentially the film is a relatively cheesy romantic comedy but being in that crazy environment gave it a real totally different flavour and four and a half days to shoot a 90 minute fiction film was quite tight but having done that I know it can be done and it, it was a very liberating experience and, and, yeah. and I learned a lot from it. With that, 
you film and scene and you've got a band playing in the background, there's no way you can ask them to turn the music down or you need to do it, you know, you need to do it without. So is it that well planned out that you know what band are going to be on when you're filming that scene so you can get clearance in advance? Or, I we mean, do, we did it? some of that you know, where, where we, we had our fake bands playing. We shot one way yeah. of them you know, when no one was on the stage and then we shot the reverses when Madness were on in the background and, and, and we kind of cut them together and made it work. So there was a lot of pre-planning in there. Yeah. But there were other times where we're just kind of the stuff going on in the background. I think Eminem was playing in the background and we Good couldn't clear that. that. Yeah. We couldn't clear that. So, we so we had to kind of... Right, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so some of it was just chaotic accident and some of it, some of it was organised. And Luke and Natalie were specifically cast because they are musically... They both had good. bands, yeah. Yeah, um, and because they wrote and performed their own tracks in the film, is that I right? Think, I think um, they, Luke co-wrote or wrote one of them and, and, and Natalia, yeah, I think they did. I think that, yeah, that's how it worked, yeah. Harlem 4 earlier on in terms of that Domino Records mixtape but it's a wonderful celebration of Scottish music on there whether it be Sons and Daughters King Creasel a big favourite of mine as well but obviously that was deliberate yeah I mean the previous one we've done was a film called Asylum where I'd worked with Craig Armstrong on, on the soundtrack Paramount Classic was a studio and they didn't like Craig at school so they sacked Craig which was really kind of devastating obviously for him and for me and started again with a composer out there so I sort of felt slightly kind of uncomfortable with my relationship with music after having had David Byrne and the previous one had the Passel doing the soundtrack yeah. um, so I, I thought I need to do something different this time so I thought I'm not going to have a composer I'm going to set myself the challenge of getting all the emotional stuff I need by choosing the right bits of music and DJing it I was able to speak to, to Lawrence Bell at, at Domino and, and find a, a way to kind of, you know, use their whole kind of back catalogue. And so that was the challenge there was to try and find the right bits of everything in order to get us the, the sort of emotional range that, that we needed. And, and that was definitely a challenge because there's all sorts of emotions in the film, you know yeah. what I mean? And so, so to, to try, and, try and find it. But it's not exclusively Scottish music in, in that Domino catalogue, obviously, but the vast majority of songs that, that, that there are in the film are, are, are Scottish. And at a, at a sort of point in that kind of music where I thought, I think Scotland was firing on all cylinders, you know, doing France some really great time, stuff. Wasn't it? Yeah, it was like yeah. Their big moment. Yeah, France, France, France did a did a, a lovely yeah. uh, special track for the film, which is really nice. doing something like that what kind of guidance do you give them <sighs> I don't know I mean just I mean <laughs> there's people asking this question about actors what, how do you how do you get the performance out? it's like 
Well, you connect with people, and mm. and and you know, you, it's a dance of intuition, and you and you and you and you try and work out what you what, what each other wants, and to move forward, and it, it's very undefined in all sorts of ways. Yeah. Intuitive. Yeah. Black love water, you miss her. Oh God, how you miss her so. With the Craig Armstrong story, are you now at a stage though because of the success in the films that you've made since that point that now the studio can't tell you? I don't think that's going to happen again. Good. Uh, it, it, it was a, a set of awkward circumstances that, but I think I, I know where to kind of fight my corners in, 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 in a way now. Not that it was my fault that that situation came about, but I think the alarm bells would go off early enough and I'd you know, head for the exit. I'm very much looking to sitting and listening to the Heller High Water soundtrack on vinyl. I hope that's going to happen. It's coming out, yeah. No, they are, they're doing a vinyl version of it, which is which is really good. That's a nice thing to have. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, I, I'll swap one of those for my box of uh, of, of my startup soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> what are you giving away? I'll give away five for free. <laughs> give me a box. Can I have a box of them? Um, listen, congratulations on the film, and I, I'm really excited to see you know what you do next as well, because I think you kind of surprise us with everything that you do next, which I think is great with film that you really admire so thank you very much for, for this latest film and cheers for chatting to us well thanks Judith cheers to hell or high water that's Texas Midlands by Nick Cave and Warren Ellis rounding off this our latest instalment of Soundtracking with director David McKenzie my huge thanks to David for taking the time to talk to us about the music that is featured in his work Hell or High Water is on general release around the world now, while Nick and Warren's soundtrack is available through Milan Music, and I highly recommend both. Don't forget, you can find a full track list for the show via edithbowman.com, where you'll also find our previous episodes. My website is also the place to subscribe to the podcast, and you can follow us on Spotify, Facebook, and Twitter. We're Soundtracking UK, if you prefer to go direct, which is well worth it, considering we frequently have prizes to give away. Next up is Richard Linklater, whose latest film, Everybody Wants Some, has a blinding soundtrack in keeping with much of his work. 
I look forward to the pleasure of your company then.